Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to series two of The North in Numbers, a podcast that gets the human stories behind the stats. I'll be your host, Annie Goak. As a data journalist, I write local news stories based on statistics for regional papers up and down the country. Each fortnight, I'll be looking at the figures that particularly affect the North and speaking to experts and those most affected to get their take on issues facing our communities. To keep things COVID safe, all interviews have been conducted online by a video call. To kick off the new series of the podcast, in this episode we'll be exploring the state of pubs and bars in the north, from the long-term decline in the number of boozers across the region, to the recent boom in major cities, and of course the ongoing impact of the pandemic. We discussed industry trends with hospitality experts and people running pubs and bars up and down the north. There's never been a harder time to run a pub, even before COVID. You put COVID on top and it's it's frankly ridiculous, but um, it's a very, very competitive market and pubs are having to be very smart and work very hard to survive. It's a, you know, it's a pretty crushing time to be in the industry, I think. Tom Hetherington is the chief executive of Northern Restaurant and Bar, the biggest hospitality exhibition in the north of England. Tom is a returning guest of the podcast, and we previously had him on in series one to discuss the explosion of restaurants and cafes seen across the north. Unfortunately, the picture hasn't been quite so rosy for pubs and bars, with these businesses seeing decades of decline. Figures from the Office for National Statistics show that in the last 10 years alone, the North has lost one in every nine of its pubs and bars, with the number operating in the region falling from more than 11,100 in 2010 to around 9,900 in 2020. That drop has been even steeper at a local level, with some areas such as Halton, Rochdale and Oldham losing more than one in every four pubs and bars over the last decade. Most people agree that the decline is at least partly due to changes in regulation, with moves such as the smoking ban and the crackdown on drink driving undoubtedly having an impact on the industry. However, for Tom, the fundamental truth is the way we consume alcohol has changed. People went to the pub because if you wanted to, to drink, you had to go to the pub. There, there were no supermarkets, um, shops were very rarely open, and there wasn't much of a selection of, of beer or, or, God forbid, wine when you actually got there. So back then, it, it sounds ridiculous, it sounds like you're talking about the Dark Ages, but people went to the pub because they wanted to drink, and it was pretty much the only place in a community, in a village, in a suburb, that you could go and drink. And the brutal truth of the matter is that if you now want to drink with your friends, it's a lot cheaper to get a big pack of Stella or your kind of beer of choice from a supermarket and go and sit at home. And, and that has had an enormous impact on the, the pub industry. Tom McNeeny comes from a family of publicans and has been working in the industry since the age of 14. He's currently a manager at the Lancashire Hospitality Co, who owns several pubs in and around Rochdale. And like Tom Hetherington, he thinks societal changes have had a significant part to play in the decline of pubs and bars. 
that's one big thing that isn't really talked about rather than looking at the at the individual acts or individual changes like the smoking ban or the kind of rise of the, the, the food pub. I think for me, it's a lot more to do with the kind of the big sweeping changes in society, really. Everything used to be very, very territorial when it came to pubs and bars and restaurants. It used to be that you, you drank pretty much where you worked. You drank where, you know, if you were working in a certain venue, if you lived in a, in, in a certain area, you'd find yourself drinking with the people that you hung about with. And every, it, it's a lot like music. Everyone used to like one type of music. And now everyone's very, very eclectic. So as more people go to more places, those sort of very niche, like the, the social clubs, the working men's club, the, the boozer that was on the end of the street, they go because the way, we, the way we are as a country, the way we work, the way we eat, the way we drink, the way we socialise, everything changes. As a local, I asked Tom what the loss of pubs and bars has been like in Rochdale, one of the areas that has been hit hardest by the decline. The places that close, each one of them has a story. Each one of them has a landlord and a community built around it. The sadness in Rochdale is seeing the places that you knew go, and it, it puts a face to it. And it is the, it's the march of progress. It's, it's time and it's change and it, it's inevitable. But you still miss the places that are gone. These trends haven't just resulted in closures, however. What the figures don't show is how they've also led to changes in the way pubs and bars operate. In some ways, the pubs of old were complacent because they were the only places to drink. As long as it was a kind of warm roof over your head and the beer came out of the taps, then there was a feeling that what else do you want? You know, sit there and, and drink your, your pint of Watney's Red Barrel. And they can't get away with that anymore. There has been a change. There's been a pressure on pubs to offer something different, something that you cannot get from just sitting on your sofa with um, with a six-pack of, of beer. So they've had to become nicer environments to be in. They've had to become more family-friendly and more inclusive. They've had to become food-led. That's become a vital part, really, of so many so many pubs now. And, and the pubs have not only declined in number, but those that have remained have, have shifted in terms of their focus and their emphasis. And I think the pub industry has been really, really impressive at, at doing that. You know, the way people drink, the way people socialise is very different now. You know, we're more of a kind of all or nothing. So whereas lots of little pubs could survive on a couple of people going in at tea time, having a few pints, now you've really got to appeal to the, the broader market. Jan Rogers has been the owner of the Marble Arch in Manchester since 1997, although the pub itself has been there since 1888. I asked how they've managed to survive during such a turbulent time for the industry. A pub is constantly working and evolving. We've had to sort of make moves forward to bring some of the younger and more modern beer crowd in, which I think we've done and we've done quite successfully. And it's constantly evolving. So at one stage, we put the brewery in to help keep trade. At another stage, we went back, refurbished the kitchen and put fresh food in so nothing was cooked. And that in those days, people were saying gastropub and beer people sneered at it, but it helped us bring trade. So you've got this constantly evolving difference in customers. So the best way to think of it is you're keeping your regular people and always bringing more and more people into that crowd. One of the things we say is we like to be as inclusive as we can. And as long as you're not a bigot, we're happy to have you in. So I think that stands us in good trade. While Manchester hasn't escaped the long-term decline in pubs and bars seen across the north, the number of venues in the city has actually been increasing more recently. In fact, Manchester now has more pubs and bars than it did in 2010, booking the regional trend. Other northern cities, such as Newcastle, have also seen a big increase over the last decade, and places like Liverpool and Leeds are starting to catch up. Again, Tom McNeeny thinks this is linked to changes in the way we drink. 
people used to go out and they used to have a meal and then go home. People used to go out for a couple of drinks and then go home. And the way we drink is becoming by fault or design, I don't know, but it's, it is becoming more transient. People are going for a couple of drinks here. They'll go for tea there and then have a couple of drinks somewhere else. So obviously the, the higher the sort of saturation of bars of restaurants and pubs, they will start to feed off each other. Rather than seeing it as competition, many pub and bar owners in these city centres are welcoming the arrival of new venues. When I first got involved in the arts, there were five independent pubs that I knew, and we used to walk them. The arch was one of them. When you look at it now, you're spoiled for choice on where to go. Arch, I can only say our trade's gone up. I think it has exploded. You've so many areas now. You've the Northern Quarter, you've Spinning Fields, you've Ancoats. The city has changed. I asked Tom Hetherington what might be driving this growth. There's obviously been a huge explosion in food and drink operations in bars and pubs in city centres across the whole of the UK, particularly in the north, where you know London has always been relatively well supplied, but everything had fallen so far in the north of England and, and the kind of Midlands that there's been a, a, an enormous upswing in bars and pubs in those areas, particularly bars, new builds and new sites and, and conversions of buildings and units from other uses. As Tom says, many new venues are ones that have been converted from other businesses. Simon Hubbard is the manager of the Mean-Eyed Cat in Newcastle, a small pub he and the owners converted from a newsagent's in 2018. Newcastle had a massive sort of thing with micro pubs and little independent pubs opening. The sort of beauty of having a micro pub or repurposing a building before, like that's what we did, and you don't need thousands of thousands of pounds to start this sort of pub. What you need is like a bit of knowledge. You need to know a few people who you know can you can trust to buy equipment and sell us stuff off. With us, the way that we started was they found this news agents which had been it hadn't been open for about six years previous, and it's right in the centre of Newcastle, so it's a great spot. And then applied to council, and when it was done, it was just we sort of built the pub ourselves and called in loads of favours off friends to come down and help for an afternoon and help build it. So I think that generally that unless you've got a big business already. The idea of starting a micro pub is quite appealing because you can just take over a premises and stick some pumps in there. And, you know, I mean, people seem to subscribe to the idea quite quite better now than about five years ago where people thought it was a novelty. In Newcastle, it seems to be like pretty much the norm now, really. Andy Scott runs the Craft Tap Room in Liverpool, which opened in 2017 on the site of a former car parts shop. He's noticed a similar boom in the city. In Liverpool, not particularly where we are in, in Smith Brown. It's just grown and grown. There was a big slump in the like, sort of late 90s, early 2000s. Since around about, I don't know, in the last five or six years, it's just exploded. And there's loads, absolutely loads. It's, it's good. You're never sure of a place to go for a pub around there. It's no coincidence that as well as being pub conversions, both the Craft Tap Room and the Mean-Eyed Cat have a focus on craft beer. Relatively small batch, typically keg brew beer, made with traditional brew methods and with an emphasis on flavour and quality. Pubs that are focused on on beer but real ale craft breweries quality rather than quantity and rather than price they've really kind of gone big on the on the focus have have undoubtedly done well because there is such a strong interest in craft brewers and craft brewing and and rightfully so it's a it's a strength in the uk it's a strength in um in manchester and it's you know tremendously exciting area to explore if food and drink is your your thing We actually covered the boom in craft beer breweries across the north in series one of the podcast. While there are many factors behind its rising popularity, one of the main drivers has been a shift in consumer attitudes. It's a massive difference to how it was, even like in the last few years. The number of people like drinking IPAs and pale ales and sour beers and stuff like that compared to literally in the last five or six years. 
especially the young ones, the students, it's not just about Carling and Plasters and Stella Rattar anymore. There's such a massive variety, and there's loads of brilliant, like, local small breweries and stuff popping up everywhere, in Liverpool particularly. There's just loads of them, and so there's more opportunities to try nice things. The public now know loads more about beer than they used to, so you can sort of pick and choose where you're going to go, you know what I mean? Like, and we get an audience of people who do want to come in and drink nice, nice stuff, and they'll pay for it, and we've also got people who come in and try to order a pint of Foster's and be told to go down the street somewhere else, or... We'd never chase someone. We're nice to everyone, but they don't want to drink a pint of artisan mustache twiddling hips to beer. You know what I mean? They just want to drink a pint, and that's fine. Newcastle's got so many different styles of pub and little pop-up food place and all sorts. Now it's absolutely great for such a small place. There's loads in a small area. You can walk from one end of the city centre to the other in half an hour. It's tiny. When you get there, there's loads, and you don't really have to walk very far. I think that's quite a nice thing about the city, really. Like. However, the boom in pubs and bars in some areas, along with an explosion in the number of restaurants, has meant that these cities' economies are becoming more dependent on hospitality. That's not necessarily a good thing, considering the sector has been particularly impacted by the events of the last year. I don't think I realised how much it had become hospitality-focused until the pandemic, and you had Andy Burnham and Sasha Lord and people just talking about how reliant Manchester is on hospitality. Pubs and bars were forced to close during the first national lockdown back in March 2020. They were then allowed to reopen from the start of July, although at limited capacity due to social distancing measures. Since then, the industry has faced a succession of restrictions on both a local and national level, including a 10pm curfew, the controversial substantial meal rule, and two more national lockdowns. At the time of recording, we were still in the third national lockdown that had begun in January this year. I asked Jan how they've been coping at the Marble Arch. If we didn't have the brewery, I don't think we'd still be here. So we are extremely lucky that we've had two sides to what we do. And as they have closed and opened the pubs up and down or whatever, we've been able to do the online shop and we're selling a lot of small pack. So for us, I can only say we can only count our blessings, you know, that we had another aspect to us. And I don't think it's been easy, but for people who just had a pub or some bars or whatever, it's been dreadful. And when they've shut them this time and not let them do off sales, you're almost starting to feel, is there like a conspiracy thing now about what they want to do to hospitality long-term? There are people that it's caused mental health issues for. There are business owners out there that will never get over this. There are people that will lose their homes and stuff. So if you're asking me personally, we're still fighting. If you're saying, is the industry in a good place? It's not. You know, it it really isn't. Tom Hetherington was able to offer some insight into the impact of the pandemic on the industry as a whole. It's been decimating, um, you know, beyond anything we ever ever could have expected, um, really. And I think, although it's important to make the point that the industry, the hospitality industry, generally pubs and bars are very grateful for the support that's been offered, whether it is furlough, whether it's VAT holidays, um, et cetera, et cetera. They're grateful for all of that. It is, it's far from enough to kind of keep the hospitality industry going and, and keep it fit and keep it viable to come out the other side and, and lead the recovery. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the, a lot of the policy, there's almost a baked-in bias towards wet-led venues, um, which notwithstanding my earlier comments about pubs and bars pushing food, we are still talking about predominantly, largely wet-led venues. They've had a particularly 
tough time of it. So when the VAT discount was brought in, which is something that hospitality has been crying out for for years and years and years, it was only applied to food. So if you were a wet lead pub or a cocktail bar, where it was really all about your drink offer, that VAT discount didn't help you at all. When they did the big push in the summer to get people back into hospital uh, hospitality businesses, it was eat out to help so there was no incentive there. If you run a pub, a community booze, a really cool cocktail bar where you don't get busy till 10 o'clock at night or whatever, you know, it's not going to help you. You look at the curfew, the 10 o'clock curfew, it was devastating for restaurants. But you look a, little, a lot of the bars in the city centre, and as per my previous point, they quite often don't get busy till 10 o'clock. Their busiest times could be 10, 10 p.m. till 2 a.m. So they, they didn't just lose an element of their revenue. They were, they were effectively cut off at the ankles. It was, you know, the 10 o'clock curfew was absolutely catastrophic for them. So I think bars and pubs have been less protected and less supported by the government than, than even the rest of the, the hospitality industry or the hospitality industry generally has been. And I don't quite understand the reasons for that. I certainly don't see the fairness in it. Some people say, is there a, a kind of, Puritan streak about the government and about alcohol. I don't know. That just sounds a bit a bit simplistic. And you know, ultimately, these these businesses they're they're allowed to exist. They're they're legal, viable, successful businesses. They employ people. They train people. They support communities. They pay taxes. They support supply chains, local producers, manufacturing farmers, everyone. They're they're good businesses. You can't suddenly say, oh, you're a good business while the going's good, but actually in these tough times. We don't think we're quite going to give you the support that your your peers, your more food-led peers are, are going to get. That just doesn't seem fair or, or right to me. As Tom mentioned, there have been several systems of support made available to pubs and bars during the pandemic, including multiple grants, various loan schemes, a business rates holiday and the extended furlough scheme. I asked Simon what he thought of the support that the mean-eyed cat had received so far. Some of it's worked and some of it hasn't. Some of it left small employers like my boss is like quite out of pocket, like having to subsidize people's wages for doing less work, stuff like that just didn't really work for businesses our size. But all in all, like we've retained all the staff, the, the furlough things worked for us, but I know so many people that hasn't. So I'm still not perfectly satisfied with how things are going, you know, but we will, we will survive. Meanwhile, for Andy, a particular bone of contention was the rule that in most cases, pubs could only serve alcohol as part of a substantial meal. I mean, I can understand with nightclubs and stuff like that because they're late night, people are drunk and getting off with each other and they are going to be spreading disease around. But when, when we got to the point of having table service, I don't see what the difference is. If, if they're not getting up and mingling with each other, then what's the need for having to have a burger with your pint? How is that going to make anyone less infected? It doesn't make any sense to me. A government spokesperson said... We understand that this is an extremely tough time for pubs and bars, but we are supporting businesses with one of the most comprehensive and generous packages of business support in the world, worth over £280 billion. As we navigate our way out of lockdown, we will continue to engage relentlessly with the hospitality sector, as we have done throughout this pandemic. When the ONS last surveyed business owners back in November, 28% of pubs and bars said they did not have confidence their business would survive the next three months. That compared to just 5% of other business owners who said the same, suggesting that pubs and bars have been hit harder than other industries. So what does the future look like? I I think if things don't change, we will see a lot of closures. I think the greater vulnerability is in the pubs and bars which are owned by independents. I know that for a lot of these owner-run businesses, where it's their everything, it's their life, it's their passion, they put everything into it, they'll also be taking on a lot of personal debt. 
they'll be running up credit cards, they'll be not paying themselves, they'll be missing their mortgages, they'll be taking on personal loans, they'll be borrowing from friends and families just to get through. And I think that's almost hidden. It's like an iceberg. We're not really acknowledging or talking about the personal debt that these independent bars and pubs are having to take on to, to get through. Um, and it will make them very, very, very vulnerable coming out the other side. The worry would be that the ownership changes, that actually a lot of these independent businesses, people who put their all into setting up a bar or running a pub, lose everything. And someone will come in and run that pub again, but that doesn't mean that the pub's still there. Someone's lost the business, you know, someone's livelihood has been destroyed. I asked Tom, who is likely to be in a position to buy up these independent pubs or bars in the event of closures? The ex-chief exec of, uh, of Green King, who are one of the really big pub cows, is pulling together a £200 million fund because they feel that there's going to be a massive opportunity to pick up pubs and bars for tiny amounts of money, distressed purchases, failed businesses. They can kind of snap them all up in the downturn and then ride them out the other side into, into the recovery and have really good businesses that they've picked up for a song. And Weatherspoons are just raising about another 93 million quid. And they've said that they are doing that partly for the same reasons, because they see there's opportunity to acquire pubs and bars massively undervalued and ride them out the other side. And it's important to say that that's absolutely right and fair and legal. There's no problem with people doing that. There's no one in business who, who hasn't you know, tried to get a good thing at a good deal and then run it as a good business. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But it would be sad if the businesses that need protecting weren't protected and became victims to, to kind of fulfill that cycle. Just because those guys, are, they're waiting to, to kind of pick off people, I'd quite like there to be not too many people to pick off. Unsurprisingly, considering they are all independents themselves, the pub owners we spoke to were dismayed at the idea of bigger chains buying up these smaller businesses. It would be dreadful. It would be truly dreadful. And again, it's that thing that a chain's employing somebody and hoping for their wage, they'll be as passionate as the person who has picked to do that business and put everything into it. It just, it doesn't work. You get the character from places from the people who are doing it, I, I think anyway, yeah. However, Jan remains hopeful that the rise in the number of independent pubs opening in converted spaces will see these particular venues better able to weather the storm. Now what you see younger people doing, they're opening up in shop units because they're not taking a risk on the pub companies. So hopefully they will all stay touch wood they will stay and get through because the overheads are less. And that's exactly what the owners of the Mean-Eyed Cat have experienced. Because we're so small, our overheads are small. So we're not as at risk as a lot of bigger places, you know what I mean? So the impact on the business isn't going to be, we're definitely going to reopen, basically. And we've never thought different. And the owners, although they're not making loads of money, they're not losing loads at the same time. So the, the ones that tend to have really struggled have either been the chain pubs or the ones that are owned by a pub co where the landlords are giving them really unreasonable terms to carry on going. Simon is also confident that customers will be keen to support independent pubs and bars over chains once they're allowed to reopen. People are getting a bit more switched on about where they do want to support and putting money back into the city rather than giving it to Tim, whatever he's called, Weatherspoons man. Like people want to, I think, want to give money back or keep stuff going. That's, I think that's that's definitely some a plus of like the micro pub stuff. I think as well because you can kind of see where the money's going, and if you don't like the owners, don't don't go in. <laughs> it's something that Tom McNeeny is also hopeful about. I think there has been a, a huge change in public consciousness that that knowing who the money goes to now is going to be a huge thing in this industry going forward. People are already having conversations about 
when I can go out for it, to eat, when I can go for tea again, when I can go for a pint, I want to put a tenner in Nick Nugent's hand because he's had an awful year. Tom Hetherington has also been thinking ahead to when pubs and bars are able to open again. I don't think that people's, people's uh, appetite for human interaction, social interaction and hospitality and getting out to bars and pubs and restaurants and concerts and festivals and cultural venues and live events has dimmed one jot. If anything, I think it's gone the other way. And I think what we saw when lockdown eased over the summer is that as and when people were allowed to do things, they did it in droves. The numbers were crazy. There were a lot of operators I knew, pubs and bars, who were doing Christmas kind of levels of trading week after week after week during summer months, which sometimes would be quite quiet for them. And, you know, I think the appetite is there. So the operators are going to come back to a big pent-up market. Jan experienced this firsthand at the Marble Arch. When they let us open up outside, the amount of support just for the brewery, we have a big yard out front and we set tables out, put a wee bar out. The amount of people that came and supported and people I never thought would that, you know, we're regulars in the arch, come in for the three pints every night. We're suddenly sitting outside, shivering outside the brewery. So that sort of team feeling was really, really good. And customers have been showing their support in other ways as well. So we basically just decided to turn in a, a merch website and I printed loads of T-shirts for the pub, got some like growlers done, got various bits of merch done and some mugs and everything. And people basically saw it as a way of supporting. So that went like absolutely mad. I couldn't believe the response for it. It was great. It like gave us like a good boost, like middle of last year, this, and you could tell like people were doing it to help out, but I guess they also got a t-shirt as well and, or a mug or some stuff. So that was like a really nice thing. And like I said, I could definitely tell it was people showing support rather than just buying a shirt, if that makes sense. So that was like a really nice, a really nice aspect to it. And without that, I think it would have been a bit more grim last year. The Mean-Eyed Cat were not alone with their merch shop. In fact, pubs up and down the country have been finding innovative ways to try and make money during this difficult time. You know, some of them have set up as shops. Some of them have been doing kind of cook at home boxes. Uh, some of them have been doing cocktail deliveries or, or kind of drinks deliveries, et cetera, et cetera. And I think people have enjoyed those things more than they expected. And I think they've often been more successful than maybe some of the operators expected. And even when pubs and bars reopen their doors, I think some of these revenue streams will sustain. So I think a lot of businesses will find that they actually have a, a kind of broader and more resilient business with more different revenue streams and new customers in ways that they couldn't have imagined before COVID. Uh, necessity has been the mother of invention as the, um, as the saying goes. In some cases, these schemes have become a way not just for people to support a pub or bar, but also to support their local community, as the Lancashire Hospitality Co. discovered. We wanted to make a range of meals that were suitable for kids who were homeschooling, as well as teaching your kids at home, which is stressful enough. Having to feed them as well is just an extra stress. So we tried to make this kind of like, very using very, very clever things that like we used blitz up celeriac puree rather than cream it was very very clever we really got our teeth into it and we started having a bigger discussion about it that that was a kind of private enterprise that was people were buying it but we had a lot of people get in touch saying they wanted to pay it off and it was just as the um you know the the, the news was full of people getting money bags full of cornflakes for the kids who were homeschooling and it was all very tragic so we had a lot of people get in touch and say well can i can i pay this on for someone who needs it and that was really really interesting for us we didn't set out to do that we'd spoke to some people in the council we'd spoke to some local schools and you know we 
we were fully prepared to kind of unfurlow everyone and, and really, really focus on this. But before we really got too far down the line, again, this sense of community kicks in and, and suddenly your inbox is full of people wanting to give their money to help people who, who need it. And that was, uh, that was fantastic. That was quite humbling. For Tom, this sense of giving back has become the main focus of the pandemic. No one's going to make any money. No one is making a penny this year. But what you can do is support people. You can help people. You can really throw everything into really worthwhile things to help bring that sense of community back to people. Andy and his colleagues at the Craft Tap Room have also been doing what they can to try and help others this year. The first lockdown, I think, the community spirit was amazing. I did one that's music festival with some of the other clubs on our street. The Smithdown Festival, we, we put on a lot of stuff as, as often as we could online. It's just thousands of people watching it and enjoying it. And we, we did a thing where you chip in. If you like to, you chip in and it goes to help musicians. We raised like a load of money for them. Musicians have been absolutely run over by this pandemic, haven't we, and by the government. And they didn't stop there. We did a big full prank collection a few months back. It was after all that stuff with the school dinners and the free meals for the kids. We've got a big space. We've got a big pub right in the heart of thousands of people. We might as well try and do something good. That's what I think. Food bank collections are a common theme. Simon says they've also been a focus for the owners of the Mean-Eyed Cat. Dave and Julie owners have got like a massive emphasis on anything we can do for charity like we always do. And we always have. So a couple of times a year, we've done like a food bank collection. And then when we found out we were going to have to close, we were just about, well, we'd announced it, we were going to do if someone comes in with a can of food, they can get a few takeaway pints of beer because the beer was going to go to waste. So we sort of said like, we'd rather than throw this beer away or pour it away, just bring some food in for the food bank and then you can have some free pints. But then we plunged into like harsh lockdown just before. So we didn't get to do it. But yeah, we were always trying to give back in any way that we can really. As soon as we're open again, we'll be straight back on it. Like I think, I think it needs it, especially Newcastle. Though. The way that so many pubs and bars have stepped forward to try and help out their communities during the pandemic has massively impressed Tom Hetherington. I think what's interesting is that the hospitality industry, in particular, uh, bars and pubs, have really been at the, the forefront in this crisis, in the COVID crisis, of kind of putting their hand up and trying to help. And you've seen that from, from day one, when this first hit in March, bearing in mind that these guys are looking at just existential destruction of their entire business, they were still the first people to say, do you know what, our chefs are doing nothing, our kitchens are doing nothing, we've got stock going to waste, we're going to feed vulnerable people or people who are struggling for income, we're going to feed the emergency services, we're going to feed the NHS. And they did that in numbers which were which were frankly unbelievable. And they've continued to do that. And the thing that I find unbelievable and, and really, really heartening is that this has continued. Even over nine months of grinding, crushing unfairness and difficulty for the hospitality industry and for bars and pubs, however many times they get kicked, they just keep putting their hand up and going, we'll do that, we'll do that, we'll do that. And I just find it amazing. I think it's something natural and innate within people who are in the hospitality industry that their first instinct is always to kind of be hospitable, to help, you know, to, to make things better. And I think it's been a really nice story that's come out of this, that if anything, it's reconnected bars and pubs to their communities because they they have helped and they have been valuable and they have been supporting local families who were struggling. Um, they have been supporting kids 
who aren't getting fed, you know, during the school holidays. They have been supporting key workers and doing their bit. And I think the goodwill that they've generated is a real asset. I think I think the, the pubs and the bars who've bent over backwards to do something for their communities are going to reap the benefit over the next year or so. This sense of community is a vital part of pubs and bars. And it's one of the reasons why it's so important that these businesses survive to see the other side of lockdown. So I think every hospitality business has a, has a community and, and pubs more so than most. It does bring everyone together. Different age groups, different backgrounds. Everyone kind of gets in there and, and mingles. And that's there's too few opportunities to do that. I think in today's world, it breaks societal bonds. It breaks down communities if people don't all get in the, in, in the same space. Um, it's a really, really healthy thing for society and for community to have everyone in there under one roof. And I think it only happens in pubs because it, it's the British heritage. Uh, we, we feel comfortable in pubs. We've, we've drunk in pubs and eaten in pubs and inns for hundreds and hundreds of years. According to the roadmap for easing lockdown, pubs and bars will be able to serve people in outside spaces, including car parks and terraces, by the 12th of April at the earliest, and allow customers in their doors no sooner than the 17th of May. New measures of economic support are constantly being announced by the government, but it remains a period of uncertainty for the industry. However, things are looking up, as we should be able to go for a pint any day now, something I for one am massively looking forward to. Thank you for listening to another episode of The North in Numbers, written and hosted by me, Annie Goak, and produced by Mark McGill. And a big thank you to all my guests for taking the time to speak with me. Join us again on the 23rd of April as we take a look at the huge rise in pet ownership seen during lockdown. The North in Numbers is a laudable production.